Good, everybody. Welcome to the Crossover Podcast here on the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. Happy to be here with you on this Saturday. We are going to take a deep dive into the Week 2 matchup against the Seahawks. But before we do, I want to remind you, please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We always say if you take the time to leave a review, we will take the time to read it on the show. This is a four-star review from Liz Love, subject usually good. Love most of the variety of hosts and shows. Levin is my favorite, brutally honest. Rob's Niners and Five is great. Biggest complaint is Michelle. Not sure why they have a Steelers fan hosting a Niners podcast. She knows her numbers, but there are plenty of Niner fans that do also. Hate when she refers to the Niner faithful as you guys. Show rule is one or five star ratings, but it's not a one or a five, so you get a four. Get all real Niners fans hosting, and I'll give you the five. All right, let's love. Here's the thing. There are plenty of Niner fans on this network, okay? Almost all of them. In fact, Michelle is the only non-49ers fan on the network. You want someone from outside the bubble. That's the reason why she's on the network. As you said, she knows her stuff. So you want someone that knows what they're talking about that is outside the bubble to give you a different perspective on things. I don't want an echo chamber here at Niners Nation. We want different perspectives. The fact that Michelle is not a 49ers fan, although she's kind of sort of becoming one, but the fact that she didn't grow up a Niners fan is what makes her one of the things that makes her so valuable. So you got to get over that. All right, now let's take a deep dive into the Week 2 matchup. I was a guest on the Field Goals podcast with Dan Viennes of our SB Nation Seahawks community here. We dove into everything coming up in this game, a preview, what we liked, what we didn't. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome back into the Field Goals Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Dan Viennes. We are looking ahead now. We spent enough time looking back on the uh, big upset win over the Broncos Monday, 17-16, to 16, uh, that the NFL world is still talking about. And, of course, we will touch on that a little bit today because I have a very special guest joining me, formerly of ESPN Radio, Roto World, Pro Football Talk, and now uh, producing and hosting the Niners Nation podcast. Uh, please welcome Rob Guerrera to the show. Rob, thanks for joining me. How are things down there? Well, not great, Dan. <laughs> I mean, I thought we would ease into this, but but let's let's just let's just start where we need to start. Let's let's talk 49ers first. Um the loss at Chicago, it, my impressions from the outside looking in is the conditions in that game were just a near monsoon. The field conditions were horrible in that game, but all eyes were on Trey Lance and his first real start as the guy, we think he's the guy, in San Francisco. Um, your overall impressions to start with right off the top on how Trey Lance performed against the Bears. I think it was what you expected to see from him. It was choppy. There were some easy throws that he missed, some open guys that he missed. And then there were some eye-popping, like, wow throws that we haven't seen around these parts in quite some time. Quite honestly, since Colin Kaepernick was the starting quarterback, Hmm. really. Um, But, like you said, the conditions were not ideal. The game didn't go his way. And as soon as they got down by two scores and really had to rely on the pass – the heavens opened up and it was like biblical rain. It was comical. It was so bad, Dan, that the broadcast actually switched to the snow graphics on the field where they make the numbers (laughs) and the yard lines black. That's how crazy it was. So it was really kind of hard to evaluate, especially when they really had to go into pass, pass, pass mode. Yeah. You can definitely see why as historical as that stadium is, you can see why the plans for the new one include a roof. 
Um, that was brutal. And, and, uh, but you make an interesting point, the comparison to Colin Kaepernick and, and his game. Did you see any, any stylistic differences in how Kyle Shanahan was operating the offense with Lance at the helm? There were some, there were, well, first of all, there was a lot more quarterback power. I think there were at no. least three quarterback powers, which you were not going to see with Jimmy Garoppolo. And they also ran a triple option, which I loved that Debo in the backfield, Lance faked it to Debo coming out of the backfield then took off around the edge. And then when the defender stepped up, he flipped it to Elijah Mitchell for mm-hmm. a five or a six yard gain. Jimmy Garoppolo definitely wasn't doing that. I loved that. I wanted to see more of that, frankly, and I hope they do in the weeks to come. Um, so there were some differences between Trey Lance and how Jimmy Garoppolo used to run things. Yeah, lots of third down conversions with his legs. One was a third and 13, I think. Um, yep. it definitely adds a, a different element there. Um, talk about the performance of the team as a whole. I, it, it sounds like when you read Twitter and you see some of the, the reaction from the fan base, there was some unease with how the offensive line played as a whole. Um, what do you What do you make of the rest of the roster and how they showed up? Yeah, the offensive line was not good in this game. It To me, it was an example of their grades on paper might have looked good, but when you watched the game, Trey Lance had to avoid so many sacks and there were so many plays with early pressure where he had to move around. I think it, it kind of hid some of the problems on the offensive line. But overall, the team played great. Justin Fields didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver until the third quarter in the game. The Bears had less than 70 total yards at halftime of this game. There were some big plays that they made that I feel like kind of distorted how well the team played. The big problem for the 49ers was penalties. 12 penalties for 99 yards in the game, including extending drives. Every time the Bears scored a touchdown, there was a penalty that extended the drive that allowed it to continue and help them score. That was really what sank the 49ers. Other than that, they played well, particularly on defense. And the the fumble by Debo didn't help. That was a nice drive, Mm -hmm. and they were getting down inside the red zone. Um, Talk about Debo Samuel, because he's one of the most intriguing players, I think, on that roster. And there was a lot of talk this offseason, you know, especially with him signing a new big deal and and questions around that, about his usage. And, And there was a lot of reporting done about what he wanted his role to be and what it was going to be and whether that would evolve uh, once they signed him long term, had eight carries, I think, out of the backfield and used as a receiver. Um, what can Seahawks fans expect to see out of Debo Samuel on Sunday? Expect to see a ton of Debo. Elijah Mitchell, the Niners starting running back, got hurt in the first half of this game. He's going to be out for eight weeks. They are going to make Debo the lead back. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to get 15 carries a game, but he'll probably get I would say eight to 10 carries out of the backfield. They're going to target him. They are going to run the offense through Debo Samuel, which is sometimes frustrating for me because he was such a get out of jail free card for them last year. People (laughs) don't realize like they would get to the red zone and it would be like, just give the ball to Debo third and seven, hand the ball to Debo. And he got it on so many occasions. It was unbelievable But we live in a different world now than last year, right? Defenses and coordinators and coaches have had a year now to study this, to watch what the 49ers do, watch what their tendencies are, watch how Debo himself runs the ball. So I don't think it's going to be nearly as effective as it was last year. But you, as a Seahawks fan, get ready to see 19 with the ball in his hands a lot. All right. <laughs> I was ready for that anyway, but uh, uh, he's such a dynamic player. It's even as an opponent, he's just fun to watch. And he's, he's one of those guys that, uh, that can garner a lot of jealousy from opposing fans. You know, that might translate as hate, but everybody wants him on their team. 
Uh, another guy that everybody would probably like to have on their team. Um, let's talk about George Kittle. Um, he's already wrecked my fantasy lineup. Um, <laughs> last time the Seahawks saw Kittle in Seattle, nine catches, 181 yards, two touchdowns and a dominating performance. He's done that many times against this team, but he came up with an injury, uh, before the opener, it was a practice injury, wasn't it? He, he tweaked, Monday of week one. His yep. Groin, yep. And uh, didn't practice yesterday. He's been described as day to day. How does his absence affect this offense? It makes a huge, huge difference. Not only through the passing game, which obviously, you know, as you just said, he can be a devastating receiver. But in terms of blocking, we just talked about how the 49ers offensive line struggled blocking. That's one of the best things that Kittle does. So even if he doesn't have an impact in the passing game, he can still have a major impact on the game because he's so good as a blocker. He can obviously clear the way for running plays and also just give the quarterback more time. Not having him the drop off between George Kittle and, say, Ross Dwelly or Charlie Warner, the other tight ends for the 49ers, is massive. Kittle's versatility will be incredibly missed. And the frustrating thing for me is that Trey Lance has started three games in his career and George Kittle has missed two of them. So they don't even really have any kind of on-field chemistry. They haven't really built that up yet. So it's frustrating because I really want to see what this offense can be when all the weapons are there. Is this the year we see Brandon Ayuk kind of burst onto the scene as well? Maybe a breakout year for him? We thought that's what I was expecting and hoping going into week one. And they hit Ayuk right out of the gate mm -hmm. on the first drive with a beautiful 31-yard yeah, pass. And, and I was like, okay, here we go. Like, here's the Ayuk coming out party. And then he got one target the rest of the day. And it's so frustrating because he's the guy that Lance has been working out with the most. Since Trey was drafted, he and Brandon Ayuk have been working out in the off seasons, spending a ton of time together. If he's got that chemistry I was just talking about with anybody, it's with Ayuk. But for some reason, they have not been able to get the ball in his hand as much as I think they should. And I hope it's something that they definitely focus on this week because I think he's really good. I think he's way better than he's shown and way better than people realize. How long is the leash for Trey Lance, given, you know, I think so many people were surprised that the 49ers ended up keeping Jimmy Garoppolo, signing him to that that new deal, uh, which includes the no trade clause and all of that. So he's just he's sitting there. He's presumably healthy enough to play. Right. How long is the leash, given the fact that the 49ers roster is one that's built to contend now? It's not as long as it should be. And that's the frustrating mm. thing for me. Trey Lance hasn't started games in consecutive weeks for over a thousand days. He needs time. The last time he started two straight games was December of 2019. All right. It's 2022. Just let this kid play. He shouldn't be penalized just because we think the 49ers are in this so-called Super Bowl window. Yeah. Remember, they are the ones, the 49ers themselves are the ones that decided that Jimmy Garoppolo's play was simply not good enough. And they didn't just get a replacement quarterback. They traded three first-round draft picks plus more to move up to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. So that should tell them how badly they thought they needed to upgrade at the position. Yeah. So why then would you then bench Trey Lance for that exact same guy? It's not even for a different player, right? It's literally for the guy you thought you had to move heaven and earth to replace. But... As long as Jimmy is there, they know that they have won games while he is there, even if he hasn't been the biggest part of it. So I think that's going to be a real thing. 
Chris Sims said this week that he's heard that there are already players in the locker room that think that Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Mm -hmm. Trey Lance right now. So if they keep losing, it's going to become a thing. The calls for Jimmy Garoppolo will start coming not only from the media, but also from inside the house, from inside the 49ers locker room. So Trey has to win. Otherwise, he's going to have to deal with that. And it's just going to get louder and louder and louder. Interesting. Uh, it'll be fascinating to watch. One of my favorite things to watch is young quarterbacks developing and, and all the things that that entails. Um, probably helps the situation there, though, that it was a very uh, uneven week, shall we say, in the NFC West with who would have thought the Seahawks sitting on top at 1-0 and and everybody else mm-hmm. sitting at 0-1. Hard to tell, hard to really judge that Rams performance because they may have been going up against the best team in the NFL this season in the Buffalo Bills. But the Arizona Cardinals look like a team with some issues. There may be uh, a little bit of grace here provided by the division in that in that process down there, right? Yeah, the Cardinals. I mean, that's supposed to be the good Arizona Cardinals, right? Before they have their December collapse and they look terrible against the Chiefs. I am a little worried about Stafford's arm. I think that is a much bigger story than has gotten covered. Like he he looked weird throwing the ball. He looked like it was much more over the top for him than normal. So I'm, I'm skeptical there. Um, the frustrating thing for the 49ers is they're the only NFC West team with a loss in the conference, right? Everybody else lost to an AFC team, yeah. which when it comes to seeding and, and division titles and tiebreakers and things like that, that, that does matter. Well, and and not just Stafford, but the fact that, you know, Cam Akers was expected expected to shoulder the load there uh, in the running game and it was kind of called out by McVay afterwards might be in the doghouse. So there might be some issues there in Los Angeles as well. Uh, let's talk about the opponent this week. I always love getting the perspective of someone from another fan base, someone on the outside looking in. I just want to know, first of all, four days later, you've had a chance to process it. Your overall impressions of what we saw here on Monday night with the Seahawks pulling off the shocker, the way that they did, and how that game ended as well. Did you ever expect to be playing a 1-0 Seahawks team this week? Not in a million years. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to get killed. I loved all the emphasis that Pete Carroll put on the game. That place was rocking, man. Like In a way that that Lumen usually doesn't rock like that's a raucous stadium to begin with but everybody was so pumped up the way they brought in all those guys that meant more to the Seahawks than a normal week one game I don't care mm-hmm. what they say and they're not even really trying to hide it no <laughs> it's the what most I'm, it's the most raw and open I've heard Pete Carroll in, in the comments yes. he made yesterday it's 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 really shocking what I'm wondering and I'd like to get your perspective on this is it possible the Seahawks come in on, you know, a little emotionally drained and maybe there's a bit of a letdown coming off a game that was clearly more to them than a typical week one game? Absolutely. And and I think it, it really um, it could be an early litmus test on where this team is, where this roster is. Remember, this is a very young roster. They're playing a lot of rookies and a lot of young guys. Um, and a quarterback who hasn't started a lot of games in the last eight years. It's uh, with a new scheme on defense and new coaches on defense. It's it's I I'm just fascinated to see how they come out and respond and play week two, whether they win or not, because to me and I know that I'm not your typical fan. I love this process. I I thought it was time for a rebuild. It was time to move on from Russell. I'm fascinated to see how they've uh, augmented the roster this year, thought they had their best draft since 2012. And I know it's all about getting the quarterback next year. So I'm watching a lot of college football on Saturdays this year, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, um, 
it's not surprising to me they were more competitive than people expected because, you know, when you're close to the program and you watch what's happening here, I did think there was a lot more talent on this roster than the national media was giving us credit for, but it's young talent. And how do they respond coming off of that? Because they had three months to get ready for this game. Emotionally, schematically, they knew Russell as well as anyone. They could have a plan. It was the best time for them to play Russell Wilson and and the Denver Broncos. They had the element of surprise. They had the home crowd, as you pointed out, loudest I've heard it in the stadium since probably 14. Um, And legitimately, maybe it got that loud at times a couple years ago, the game at the end that was for the division, the Jacob Hollister game uh, against the Niners. Um, But yeah, do they come out and and fall flat this week against an opponent that they've owned 15 out of 17 dating back to 2013, last four in a row? Um, How do they respond emotionally and physically uh, with all those young guys? Do they come out and play well? Because to me, as a Seahawks fan and guy who covers the team, if they do, if they come out this week and play well, win or lose, but especially if they win, this team might have a chance to compete with the roster they have. First of all, that game in 2019 is the Dre Greenlaw game. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about Geno Smith because I, you know, I'm outside the Seahawks bubble and I want to be skeptical about this. And I know that he played better than people thought he was going to play. But in the second half of that game, he was like, what, 6 of 10 for yeah. 35 yards yep. or something like that? He did not exactly light it up in the second half, although to be fair, he played great in the first half. He did. Uh, my hope is that the 49ers pass rush is going to be able to get to him and really make life miserable. They played great against the Bears. Justin Fields is a freaking wizard, so he kind of <laughs> saved them a lot of the times. Geno doesn't have that type of mobility. So am I right to assume that the Niners pass rush is going to be able to get to Geno a little bit? Well, you're going up against two rookie tackles. And as, as good as those guys have looked at times, um, Charles Cross in particular looked like a rookie uh, on Monday night. He had his great moments. He handled Chubb in the first half and in the second half, uh, Chubb threw some things at him that, that he couldn't handle. And he, and he got beat on some bull rushes. Abe Lucas on the right side looked like a 10 year vet and really had a really clean game. There was the one holding call that, that uh, nullified a long shot penny run. It was a questionable call, but still those guys are young and, and they're going to see things they haven't seen and going up against Bosa and those guys. Um, it's to me, that's the matchup of the game. Gino surprised me in a couple of ways. And one of them was his pocket presence, the way that he was able to, uh, kind of command the pocket or, or, or stay in there and, and show some poise when it was breaking down. Um, the touchdown of Disley was one where he kept his eyes down the field and kind of eluded a, a, a sack in a way that we're not used to seeing. Because when you've watched Russell Wilson for 10 years, you see the spin out. You see a lot of crazy scrambles and change of direction. Geno's more of a traditional drop back quarterback and, uh, and just kind of manipulated the pocket a couple of times. I think what we saw from Gino on Monday is kind of what we're going to see for the most part, as long as he's playing, there's going to be times where he plays well. I, I do think he's learned over the years to be more careful with the football. I do think he sees the field well. He makes good decisions. He knows how to operate the, the offense at the line of scrimmage. I do think the offense fits him better. This Shane Waldron kind of Rams hybrid offense they wanted to run last year. A lot of the core principles of that offense didn't fit what Russell does well or what he likes to do. So we saw a lot more use of the tight ends. We saw a lot more uh, kind of creative formations and things like that. Um, but this team's going to try to run the football. And, and they, they got away from that a little bit Monday. Penny only had 12 carries. That shocked me. 
I think you'll see him get 20 touches this Sunday uh, in particular because they're going to be concerned about that pass rush. Here's here's I actually made a comparison the other day that you might appreciate to me. Geno Smith, when he when he's playing at his best, his ceiling is kind of young before he sort of developed his game. Young Alex Smith. Like he's got to control the game. He's got to run the offense. He's got to convert third downs, make the easy throw, make the occasional nice throw. He's going to have some clunkers, though. He's not a guy who's going to go out there and be Ryan Tannehill, who rediscovers himself and reinvents himself when he when he gets his second chance. There's going to be bad games. And uh, with the rookie tackles going against that pass rush Sunday, it'll be a test. How much should I worry about Kenneth Walker? I keep seeing Kenneth Walker is going to play. The Seahawks, are, is this like a real threat at running back? If he's 100%, I, I think so. But here's my take on running backs is they need, they need time to play. You know, he hasn't seen anything. You know, those, that instinctive part of being a running back takes time. You can't just come out cold and, and be able to have that kind of vision, especially a guy who's brand new to the league and playing at a different speed. Um, he only had the one preseason game, um, but everything they saw from him in the preseason and in practices um, just kind of validated all the reasons they took him in the second round. Um, and you can say all you want about whether that's a good usage of draft resources. He's he's a dynamic talent, and I think they see him as the long-term answer at running back, whether they re-sign Penny after this season or not. But But I look back to what Penny did last year, and once he was healthy and got back on the field, it took three or four weeks for him to get on that role. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of impact from him right away. That injury, um, I've heard some doctors talk about it, and and they say it, it shouldn't it shouldn't restrict him functionally at all. They 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 kind of inserted some mesh in there to hold that area together, but they describe it as being very strange, and it takes him getting used to, and it feels weird. Um, I don't suspect he'll get a lot of no matter how much they talk about it this week. I think he might get five or six touches, maybe be using a third down roll. He does catch the ball well out of the backfield. I think by the time, if if they all stay healthy, by the time the Niners come back December 15th, it might be a different story because I do think they see this as a two-headed monster. And if both those guys are healthy, it can be a dynamic running game. I don't expect much impact from him on Sunday. I was a little surprised that after the Seahawks won, the spread for this 49ers game actually went up. It went from like eight and a half to Niners minus nine and a half. I think Vegas is nuts. Have they not seen 49ers Seahawks games for the past <laughs> 10 years? When have the 49ers ever played the Seahawks in the past decade where they've won by 10 or more points? Like when? It doesn't yeah. happen. Weird stuff happens in these games. Well, and I wonder if if maybe the two factors that they're looking the hardest at is what we've touched on already, that pass rush against the rookie tackles and the fact that maybe they are banking on a bit of a letdown. You know, that's a, it's a short week. That could be a factor. And uh, having to turn around quickly and, and readjust emotionally after that, it's, uh, I can't wait to see how, how it turns out. It, there's a lot of history in this matchup, interesting history involving lots of different players. And uh, this could kind of be the next era of, you know, let's see how, how Trey Lance performs and how he steps up against the Seahawks because Jimmy G didn't always play well. And that was part of the reason that the Seahawks have won the, the last few matchups is, is he just, he made some key mistakes at key moments. And, and um, you know, if Trey plays, look, I'm not a betting guy, but um, I would pick the 49ers in this game. I, I think they deserve to be the favorite NFL network 
just had nine of their 10 guys, Daniel Jeremiah being the, being the only outliner that picked the 49ers. And, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's fair. With Trey Lance, I have said there are not going to be any gimme wins. Whereas I think with Jimmy Garoppolo on the schedule, a lot of times you're like, oh, that's a win. You feel pretty confident because there's so much variance with Trey. But honestly, you know, he threw the one interception last week. If that's not in the 49ers red zone, I don't know necessarily that the Bears win that game because that's really what broke the back of the Niners was that they he threw the interception so deep in 49ers territory. Chicago was able to cash in on it. Yeah. Then it's a two-score game. Then the heavens opened up and it was over after that point. So if if Trey can just limit the turnovers, I feel like that is really going to help. And, and that should be enough. But you never know with these with a quarterback that's so inexperienced like he is, you just it's a complete wild card every single week. It's going to be fun, but it's going to be also incredibly nerve wracking. Well, what makes it even more mysterious is is I don't know what to expect from the Seahawks defense. You know, they're playing a lot of young guys. They're playing a rookie at right corner. They're playing a guy who's starting full time for the first time at left corner. Um, although there's a chance that Sidney Jones will take that spot back this week for Mike Jackson, but he played he played really well. And and uh, even Tariq Wolin, who who ended up with a PF a low PFF grade because of the two PI calls, his coverage was excellent. And he, and he looked like a pro out there at 6'4 and, and 230, whatever he is. Um, but it's a new scheme. They gave up massive chunks of yardage. But then they came up with the turnovers in the red zone. They made the big stops when they had to, a couple of stops on third down. So I still don't know what to make of this defense. And uh, I, I tend to think for a while anyway, until they tighten things up and, and really get familiar with that scheme, uh, that we're going to see more of what we saw on Monday. They're probably going to give up a lot of yardage. They're going to give up a lot of a lot of ground between the twenties, and it'll just come down to whether they can be ball hawkers and, and get that ball, especially from a young quarterback. So, lots of variables in this game. I'm just fascinated to watch how it all unfolds. Is Quandre Diggs going to play? Because I saw he he didn't practice on Wednesday. If he's out, that makes a huge difference because he's one of the best safeties in the league. He is. And, you know, they lost Jamal Adams for the season, too. And, mm-hmm. and uh, as much as they like their safety depth with Ryan Neal and, and the young kid, Josh Jones, it's it's still, you know, it's young. It's not Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. So there's adjustments to be made in that. Now there's a scheme adjustment because they were going to use and they had used in the first half Monday Jamal Adams the way they intended to use him when when they acquired him from the Jets and moving him all over the place and just kind of having him be a Swiss Army knife and playing a lot of three safety looks. That's going to change now. And so you need Diggs more than ever to, to play that back half. Um, Pete Carroll tends to be overly optimistic when it comes to injuries. Um, he didn't sound that concerned. I'd, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play, although he might not practice uh, between now and Sunday. So we'll have to see. Oh, I, just, I just get agita. Seahawks week, I get agita. I will not feel comfortable until literally the clock is at zero and the 49ers are ahead if that's what happens. Other than that, until then, it's I'm going to be white-knuckling it the whole way through. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because I, on your half of things, I think this is our first look at the new era of 49er football, right? I mean, Trey Lance is going to be the guy, whether there are moments this year where Garoppolo has to come in and, and, uh, and contribute or not at some point it's, it's, it's his franchise. The Seahawks aren't going to do that till next year. So we're still kind of in this weird limbo phase where, you know, we want to see what the rest of the roster looks like. We want to see that kind of development. And in a lot of ways, it reminds us of 2000, 
2012, um, before their 2011, uh, when they when they added guys like Chancellor and KJ Wright, and they built up that offensive line and, and traded for Marshawn Lynch and, and built a foundation so they could go add the young quarterback the next year in Russell Wilson. That's what 2023 is about. So, or 2024. No, 23. What year is this? 23. It's 22 <laughs> now. So yeah, that's you're right. This year is about building it up and evaluating yeah. who's going to stick around and be a part of that next generation yeah. and who you, who can you cut loose? And and if that's all that you get out of this year, and I'm not saying it is, but if it if that's all that you get out of this year, that's still incredibly valuable. It's weird that Monday went and threw a wrench in all of this. It's just a weird feeling among the fan base right now. Like, what do we do? Because I think most of us agree we'd like a top five pick. You know, there's four or five legit <laughs> first round quarterbacks right now that we'd like to have, but we'd like to have our choice of them and not have to mortgage the farm to move up and get the guy that we want. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans that are perfectly content to lose some games as long as the games are fun and maybe they show they're competitive. But Monday kind of threw a wrench in things like what now? Like what if we can be kind of good? It's a it's an odd place to be. And uh, it's a drama that I can't wait to watch unfold. I want to get your take. Let me just do this. I meant to ask you this, and then we kind of got off track. I just want an outsider's point of view on what happened at the end of that game Monday. (laughs) What's absurd? None of it makes any sense. First of all, why didn't Russ just call a timeout? Yeah. Like, what? Just call timeout, dude. Like, Peyton Manning is sitting there on the Manning cast, like, screaming, basically, like, call timeout. What are you doing? Russ, the whole franchise is about Russ now. They traded a zillion picks to get him. Giving him control of the franchise is what this year was all about. So if he doesn't feel empowered to call a timeout, that's really weird. And Nathaniel Hackett's defense of it is just terrible. And even when he said, oh yeah, we definitely should have gone for it. He couched it by saying, because we missed the field goal. Like he doesn't get that trying the second longest field goal in NFL history was the wrong choice in that scenario. I, and there's so much I, I I've never seen in a situation like that any team ever not try to at least draw the other team off sides. Come up under center, do the hard count, something that Russell did pretty well when he was here and like doing. And and is as aggressive as you'd think that our defense was going to be trying to get off the ball and make that stop. That shocks me as much as the decision itself. Uh, and then, you know, cloaked in the whole. Uh, it was, he was supposed to be empowered and, and it was going to be a, a player run organization there. And he was kind of a player coach. Did you see the video today? So he's, he was mic'd up. Uh, did you see the video this morning of Russ on the sidelines imploring the guys on the sidelines to run, to yell run or pass when they saw what no. was happening on the field? You, it, as soon as we get up, you have to look it up. It's like, I remember doing that in junior high school, pony league football. <laughs> it's insane. And he's, he's, you've seen Russ when he's fired up and he's mic'd up. Right. And he I gets, have. and he gets stuck in his own. He just says the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, believe, 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 believe that kind of stuff. It's just, come on guys. You gotta, it's runner pass, runner pass. You gotta yell it. You gotta yell it. Run. Do you think there's any player in the NFL who plays on defense who would ever hear something yelled from the sideline and then incorporate that into their reactions on what's happening in front of them? It's bizarre. Well, and I think that's part of the reason why for a guy that has won pretty much at a level unmatched by everybody except the New England Patriots in his career, there are people that do not like him. Mm -hmm. Doug Baldwin, Richard Sherman, I think Marshawn Lynch had issues with him. I mean, look, I don't have to 
tell it to you and your audience, you know, for like all Russ does is win pretty much. But yet there's so many people that do not like him. And I think that's part of it. It just comes off as like rah, rah and inauthentic mm-hmm. and like, also, like, who are you talking to? Those are grown men on the sideline. This isn't a yeah. Little League game. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it is one of the fascinating things about this whole dynamic. And, and I've been on either side of it. Like, I've, I appreciate him as a player, um, but I also, I got tired of that stuff. And I think Did a lot you of go to did. the game? Yeah, I was there. Did you cheer or boo when he came out on the field? I didn't do either. I just watched it unfold. You gotta cheer. You have to cheer. He's the best player your team has ever had, and he led you to the best era of Seahawks right. football in franchise history. How could you not cheer him? I think the moment for that will come. Uh, I was surprised. I don't know. In retrospect, maybe not. But uh, there was a thought that the Seahawks would do some sort of video, uh, kind of homage and tribute to him at some point. There was nothing. There was nothing. Wow. There was. There was some. I mean, we know about the bitterness and, and it's, it's funny. You talk about cashing in receipts, right? When all that reporting was going and it goes back to, I think Seth Wickersham and that PC wrote for ESPN about four years ago was the first one to kind of blow the top yep. off that. And Seahawks fans on that report and every report that followed, there was the one in the athletic last year that was sourced by multiple reporters and a lot of inside contacts where there's smoke, there's usually fire and Seahawks fans refuse to believe that all this talk was legitimate the last few years, that teammates didn't like Russell, that, that we were trying to trade him, that we would trade him. Now it's all coming out. And, and it's, there's even more, it's going to be a great 30 for 30 someday because there's, <laughs> there's stuff we haven't heard yet. And we won't hear until Russ isn't playing anymore. Pete's out of the league. Maybe even John Schneider's moved on from his role. There's stuff we still haven't heard, but the fact that you, you mentioned all those players, just the fact that Doug Baldwin alone was on the sideline. Um, says a lot because most people have come to understand and and assume that he's one of the guys that had the biggest problem with Russ. Um, and and some of the things he says haven't even really been that well cloaked. Um, I think he had some issues. So there's there's but even those guys appreciate what he did for the organization. I was shocked that it was so many boos. I knew there'd be some, but it was eighty percent. That's wild. It to was eighty percent. And I get that, like, he's the opponent and stuff, but cheering him just when he walks in the stadium for the first time after all that he has done there, I, I thought I was really surprised by it. And I'll be interested to see, too, you talk about how, you know, the, the team had months to prepare for this game and they were on an emotional high and how will they respond coming off of it. It'll be interesting to see what Lumen feels like week three, because I said it was the loudest it's been since the Super Bowl year. Um, that crowd's gotten complacent. And, and some of that I think was being spoiled. Some of that was, you know, new blood moving into town and, and new fans and, and uh, you know, corporate tickets and all of that. But they were, they were ready Monday because there were reasons to be ready. There was emotion flying high. Um, when that's gone and the Falcons come in on week three, it'll be interesting because <laughs> they were doing that thing that they did. I call it the Jake DeLome effect, that 2005 championship game where they, from the moment the Broncos entered the huddle, they were screaming at the top of their lungs. Um, it wasn't Guinness Book of World's Record type decibel level, but it was enough to affect the game and it did affect the game. Um, I wonder now that they don't have Russ anymore and they, they do recognize it's a rebuild, if, if that'll remain and we can get that home field advantage back. I don't know. Talk to me about the environment 
at in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium. Um, it's it's been it's been uneven, hasn't it been? What do you expect as far as the atmosphere there on Sunday? Well, certainly during the lean years, even in the early Shanahan years, it was a just a terrible. It, there was zero home field advantage for the 49ers there. You can go on social media and find all the pictures of the empty stadium. The 49ers beat writers used to tweet them out. It was bad. But since 2019, when they've been consistently, for the most part, good, it has turned into an incredible home field advantage, especially uh, in primetime games. The fans really go nuts. It, it's been kind of wild. And it's really actually the fan base has shown up when the 49ers are on the road. Even if you go watch that Bears game, I mentioned that Brandon Ayuk completion that mm-hmm. he had. When he catches that ball, there is an eruption from the stand. Niner fans travel, man. It has been bizarre. But Levi's is turning into a nice home field advantage. We just need to see the 49ers play consistent there. That's why I'm hoping right out of the gates, do a play action with Lance and let it fly, man. You hit a big completion right out of the gates and the roof is going to, well, there's no roof, but you know what I mean. That place is going to explode. Well, and I, I think it'll be a cool atmosphere because I think they'll they'll be uh, the fans will be looking to to get back on the winning side in that rivalry and also kind of put the Seahawks in their place because they're feeling a little good after the Monday night game. So, yep. One oh five on Sunday at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Uh, Rob Guerrero, thanks for joining me. Uh, let people know where they can find you and listen to the podcast and what you got coming up this week. So the Niners Nation podcast is available. iTunes. Spotify, everywhere you get your pods. We do shows, two shows a day, almost every day of the week. And you can find me on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I am at Stats on Fire. Reach out. DMs are open. I like to say I'm there for the arguments. Thanks again to Dan for having me on the show. All right, everybody. We are just one day away, if you are listening to this show on Saturday, from the Week 2 matchup. I couldn't be more excited. And I just want to remind you before we wrap it up, please, Join us after the game, immediately following the game on the Niners Nation YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. Also on my Twitch page, at Stats on Fire. We will be live with you after the game, hopefully talking about a Niners win, hopefully talking about Trey Lance looking like the third overall draft pick. But no matter what happens, we will be there. We want you to join us. We take your questions, your comments all night long. So please become one of the thousands and thousands of people that watch us every single week and we are grateful for that support enjoy the game everybody please rate review and follow the niners nation podcast network we'll talk after the game